0: World Podcast. I'm AJ. York is over there. Hey, York.
1: Hello, everybody. Are you doing well? <laughs> yes, I'm doing absolutely fine. Okay,
0: that's a good thing to know. Yeah. So we're back after a uh, a small break for the holidays. Because yes, now
1: now yet January episode. In a little bit, we're going to
0: talk with uh, the vice president and CEO of 3D Realms, Mike Nielsen, and Frederick Schreiber. Which is pretty cool because 3D Realms is, uh, well, everybody knows that. That's, uh, Duke Nukem and Wolfenstein 3D and Commander Lake Keen. And, yeah. Math Rescue. Yeah. And,
1: uh. Wacky Wheels. We wacky wacky Wheels too?
0: I know that. Yeah. I know that. I don't know if I've ever played that game, but I know the na- I know it. Or I yeah, know of it. It's
1: a Super Mario Kart. Oh, yeah. Like a Super Mario Kart for the PC.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I okay, maybe I have played that then. It sounds it sounds really familiar.
1: Yeah, so we'll be talking to them in a little bit and
0: that's really cool because 3D Realms is, you know, that's a that's kind of a big deal. They're you know? they're they're yeah. and we mentioned them a couple of podcasts ago in the intro to the the Slim Aware podcast and I guess they heard us because now we'll be talking to them. Oh did we? Yeah, yeah well, we did. We, we talked about them coming back when we were talking. We, we spoke with them with Cinemaware too. You know, we mentioned that they had they had come back from from the ashes.
1: Oh yes, you didn't remove you you didn't remove that part. I did not. I
0: problem. I kept that that part in to, for for yeah. our listeners. This is heavily edited because when we do this live, we sound like idiots.
1: <laughs> so so <laughs> we we didn't wait till Christmas because you know Duk says, "What are we waiting for Christmas?" Mm-hmm. So if we. We waited for New Year's, almost Valentine's Day. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, it took, of course, a bit to get the appointment made, and um, yeah, but actually got them together. Yeah.
0: Um. So, two podcasts ago, we talked to uh, to Cinemaware. As of last last podcast, they were uh, almost finished with their their Kickstarter. Uh, it was winding down, and we reminded you guys to. To donate if you could, and and really kind of help them get their their thing going. And we are happy to report that they succeeded. They raised over ninety thousand dollars of their eighty nine thousand dollar goal. So I am attributing that success to us, and to all of our lovely listeners who listened to us and donated at the last minute to make it make it happen.
1: Yeah, and raising pledges too.
0: Yes, that's that's again that's that's all of our doing. They should be way thankful to us and. Should totally name a character after
1: us. being mentioned in the product manual as supporters.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know the funny thing is, I was looking at their uh, at their rewards, and uh, for one of the higher rewards, you got you were named as an in-game character, the commander of Fort Dix. Yeah. And and the funny thing is that that where I where I lived in New Jersey is actually right. On Fort Dix. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a—it's like right there. We—we, we, you and I drove through it when you, oh, yes, when you came yes. to the U.S. Yeah, you were here. We—we we went to Fort Dix
1: six years ago. Yeah,
0: yeah. Jesus. Yeah. In fact, where you stayed with me at my house there—that was—that's like right outside of of the of the army base. Yes. So that's kind of cool. So it's so you've you've been to the place in the game. I've been to the place in the game. They should really name those people after us for helping to. To get their goal, <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it was. Uh, I mean, when firsting um, the uh, well the product manager, he was doing that Twitch live show mm-hmm. in this very second, and he was so nervous you could tell it. Like, oh my god, oh my god! Like one minute left, <laughs> thirty seconds. Oh, we we lost somebody. Oh, now we are underfunded, and now, now we are overfunded, and now we are just funded. Oh my God, I can't believe it! You know, like hmm. uh, this. This was uh, you. You could see he was totally nervous about it. And you were a guest on one of his Twitch shows. Oh yes, yes. When when he did that show, that he did like a week before the deadline, mm-hmm. which was shortly after our podcast, he invited me. Um, because I was mentioning during the podcast that I actually played the regional Rocket Ranger and, um, and also Defender of the Crown and, and other games from Cinemaware. so he wanted to know my opinion about the extended playable demo they released, um, shortly before the, uh, campaign was ended. So he invited me to, to the live shows and, um, if you search for Navcom on YouTube, you can actually go to the playlist "Interviews with Navcom," and then you would get all the interviews that I ever gave for, well, in video or audio in English and German. Because I actually got the permission, even from the German radio station Bayern 3, to use the to publish the interview. That I did with them in 2001 when I still was 18 (laughs) and I just I just released the first issue of scene world and you were 18 when we did the first issue
0: yes 18 child
1: yes just an adult in Germany yeah dang
0: wow that was a long time now look at you you got a beard and everything
1: uh, well, <laughs> well This is actually My shave stayed yeah, me, me too
0: Yeah it, it doesn't It doesn't stay I'm like Homer Simpson You shave And you turn around And it goes Pump, And it comes back up
1: Yeah yeah. So I would have to shave Like every 24 hours But I'm too lazy Yeah that's But I do I do in um before every video podcast recording. Uh, mm-hmm. sorry, every um well podcast recording every video recording I do. So I should grow anyway. a stylish
0: mustache.
1: So anyway, yes, well there's another thing we have to report here and this is pretty cool. I managed to apply for the scene.world domain. Mm-hmm. So I got the dot world to- a generic um top level domain domain and so now you can reach us at uh, scene.world as well or podcast at scene.world or contact at world. But the old email addresses and the old URL will stay the primary one. So this is just a bonus. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, because there's some, some things don't even goodness.
0: recognize these links yet and you try to put them in it doesn't it doesn't recognize that they're actual uh, e- or or uh...
1: yes yes facebook chat and skype doesn't recognize the g- generic top level domain.world yet as a top level domain so it will not change it to a url to to be clickable so you actually have to copy and paste and do it manually this is pretty cool like what is that I'm like that's our secondary URL. Like, seriously? Like, less? Yes.
0: Look at that. So, we're, we may be a retro mag, but we're, we're ahead in the internet game. We're, we're, we're so new, they can't even understand our, our URLs.
1: Yes, well, I just wanted to make sure that nobody else is getting that URL, because I think it's pretty unique. Yeah, yeah I like that one. Yeah. And we are a cool organization, I guess. And the new issue will be totally amazing. Well, of course, I cannot say too much about it. But if you if you look at at the graphic in the iTunes, the podcast artwork at iTunes gives a hint about our next special topic. Mm. So we got special guests and um, well, special other special things regarding that topic. So anyway, as HA I, as I said. Um, we got 3D realms and the the special thing about this year is why cinema where was a child memory for me um 3D realms is especially a child memory for aj
0: that that's right yeah i actually well. i've actually played a lot of these games wolfenstein and and uh and uh duke nukem you know and they were when i when i got my first mac when i when i actually kind of because I held on to the Commodore a bit longer than I probably should have, and when I actually got a, a Mac, these were kind of some of the things you could you could play on it, and, and it was really – I mean, before even Doom, before I even played Doom, I had played Wolfenstein 3D. So that was really a uh, – it's kind of a special significance because I know these games.
1: And you will also see in the podcast that they were surprisingly open about it. Yeah. Because um, there is another interview, one interview in English with the German introduction, but you can skip forward to that. And that's 10 minutes, and of course they don't have so much time in 10 minutes to to say. And also, also this is major German press, and they were a bit careful about what to say, but we managed to get some details out of them about things that are not generally known, and we even got some rumors corrected uh-huh, uh-huh. because actually I spent like three hours on a Sunday where we did that recording to get behind the history and the details of the three Apochis um, <laughs> companies. Well, who would who would think actually that there are three companies with the same name you know Yeah, yeah, there's one Apache that is doing embedded Java device stuff and environments Mm -hmm. coding environments that has nothing to do with video games but was actually founded a few months before Apache which is the original registered name for 3D Realms so 3D Realms is like a brand of Apache
0: subsidiary of Apogee software yeah
1: Yeah, And then there is this licensing company, and that's also doing the distribution of the titles of the past. And we should mention that here because it's mentioned during the the interview a couple of times. And otherwise, you listeners, you wouldn't understand why we are talking about three Apaches. And actually, as an Excel sheet to AJ, saying the three Apaches. You know, yeah. So like the three, how do you say it in English? What's the name? No, no, of that movie, like the three musketeers. Oh yeah, yeah, three or
0: musketeers or three amigos or something.
1: Is it really musketeers? Yeah, yeah. Whoa. Okay. Yeah,
0: musketeers, yeah.
1: Because I was just making the German-sounding English. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay, so I was like, okay, use the three musketeers, and then <laughs> the three Apaches. Yeah. Hey, well, they're, they're right here listening to us, so we might as well get started with it. Sure.
2: So, yeah. nice to meet you guys. We're looking forward to this. Yeah, so nice can to meet you. Me
1: too. Tell us a bit, um, Mike, how you actually got involved into the computer business.
3: Well, it's uh, it goes uh, really uh, a long way back. My father was actually involved uh, in the shareware business here in uh, in Denmark, and uh, was actually uh, distributing some of the some of the games that three D Realm were making back then, which is a little bit uh, ironic now that now that I'm the CEO. So uh, that's how I first got in you know in, in touch with it from a business perspective as a very young kid helping out at the warehouse and uh, and stuff like that. And, and obviously, I you know I got in I got involved early. Than that, playing games. Uh, so, uh, so I've always been, uh, always enjoyed playing computers since my very first uh, Commodore 64, and, uh, and and I had some machines before that. I can't remember what they were. but I think some Ataris and stuff like that. But I, the 64 was the first one I remember uh, very clearly. Yeah. So but that, uh, that was the
0: best one, anyway. So
3: yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> since then, I, I, I then uh, I, you know, I, a lot of my time always uh, went with the with computer games. Spent a lot of time, wasted a lot of time. Some would maybe even say on it, and uh, and then in around 2002, I started uh, I started a business with my younger brother called the Cool Shop. Uh, we just also just recently opened in Germany, Cool which is a which is a, a web shop, and and we focused entirely on games at the time. And uh, now we're we're much broader. We we do all kinds of uh, all kinds of games, and I I worked with that for. 12 years before I stopped and then I met Fred from Interceptor and it was actually through that we got in touch with uh, with Scott Miller and uh, found out the situation at 3D Realms and, and I decided to go in and, and buy it basically uh, to try and see if we could move it forward. So um, very short uh, recap of my professional and not so professional life.
1: <laughs> yes, you probably saw it. I sneaked into your LinkedIn profile. You, you, yeah. have, you are CEO and run a lot of companies actually.
3: Yes, yes. Uh, I, I've, I've uh, you know a lot of the companies uh, I've, I've done are, are uh, other investments that I've that I've been uh, focusing on so, uh, outside of uh, outside of game um, of the gaming industry. I have some uh, you know some classic uh, investments that I do you know to try and uh, and spread your risk a little bit basically. So
1: uh, nice. So um, so thanks for taking the time, Frederick. Um, yeah, I, I will call you Fred because I saw in the, your past interviews you were always called Fred, right?
2: Yeah, that's that's way easier for everyone to understand.
1: <laughs> Great. Now tell tell us how did you get into video games and how did you happen to start Interceptor and get 3D Realms back to life?
2: Um, I uh, games have always been the biggest passion of my life. From you know the first thing I got in my hands. Uh, actually before i could walk was as uh, an nes controller uh that my dad got so it's been part of my life and uh and as a kid i was uh I was bullied a bit in school as well and uh you know the the nintendo uh when i was a kid was always the thing that that uh, that got me uh home safe <laughs> if you can call it that uh, it was my best friend no doubt about it and i always felt the uh, you know losing myself to this Digital world was the perfect solution to everything. So I fell in love instantly with video games as a kid, and I grew up with video games. They were always my escape from reality, if you can call it that. My first PC, when I think I was six or seven, when, uh, well, my, my first, my dad's first PC, where he actually, uh, the first games I got, I got from that PC was, uh, was actually uh, a, a bunch of Apogee shareware games. That was actually distributed by Mike's father's company. Uh, his father actually started a company called Euro Power Pack that distributed these ShareWay games. So <clears throat> I got these games distributed by Euro Power Pack, which Mike had actually packaged together with his father. Uh, which is this is kind of funny. That was my first experience with games, putting them, you know, in the in the, uh, in the floppy disk drive and typing a colon slash install and all that stuff. So that that was uh, that was how I got into PC gaming, and then basically. Uh, Making video games in Denmark was not really uh, an option for me when I had to choose which things to study, mostly because video games was an American thing. And in Denmark, we didn't really know what video games were. Uh, We had uh, one huge success in the late 90s, the first big success in video games, which was the Hitman series. And then as time went on, uh, I slowly realized that uh, it was actually possible to do those kind of games, the triple A style games in Denmark, but not necessarily using Danish talent. Uh, so when I finished my bachelor's degree, I decided to start Interceptor and form a group of, of people from 10 different countries to, uh, to work on uh, on a game called Duke Nukem Reloaded, which was a, a fan project that was uh, officially licensed by Gearbox software. And, um, that was kind of the uh, that was kind of a trial to see if it was possible to to gather people from all around the world that were really passionate about doing games and all wanted to do AAA quality games but didn't have the luxury of being in a country where where they uh, could either get hired or it was possible uh, you know so it was relatively low budget but extremely high talent and we used to reload as a test flight for for this model. And it was relatively successful. We went to a point where we decided to uh, present the game to Gearbox when it was in a really good state. Um, unfortunately, um, we decided ourselves to shut the project down after meeting up with Gearbox, since they, uh, they had no intentions of letting us show the game to the press, mostly because this was around the time when Duke Forever was about to get released. So they didn't want... Uh, another game that was free and made by fans to uh, to take the shine and, and that, that's completely understandable uh, we we decided ourselves to shelf the project uh, until we heard back from them uh, telling us okay guys you can you can go back and and show the game now and work on it. That never happened unfortunately uh, but a few months later the word got out about this game that we've been working on and we were approached by a publisher called Apogee, which is not three realms but a new company that was formed in 2008, I think. 2008, um, That licensed the name Apogee, and they also licensed uh, a few different IPs, such as Rise of the Triad. Uh, one of the fans of Duke Reloaded then decided to invest in, in our little company, and Interceptor was officially born as a studio doing our first game, Rise of the Triad. So that was, uh, that was this, a short story of how I got into the games uh, business.
1: The interesting thing here... When, when I got my first PC in 1993, I got the same, exact the same CD you were mentioning. And I remember that because it was in English and my parents didn't really know what to do with it. So we had a really hard <laughs> time getting around the instructions how to install the games on the <laughs> CD. But we managed. And so I had all the shareware versions of Plague Stone and Duke Nukem on, it, yeah. on my PC. And I was around 11 or something at that oh. time. So even I got a piece of mic and I still have it some, uh, somewhere around my flat. So. <laughs> if you
3: have it, you know, uh, I would love a picture of it. You know, I that was like, uh, that was how my dad started in the business
1: well, if I find it, I will look yeah. these days and I will send you a photo. No, no have problem been in
3: trouble with it, but if you run over it, you know, or find it by accident, sure.
1: Uh, I have an idea where it could be actually, because Lots. I have a cupboard where I have all the old stuff from the 90s, so it could be somewhere in that box. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing is, Fred, you, you, did, you didn't start out with a, a C64 like Mike. Uh, I started actually with the
2: uh, NES. Okay. Yeah, the Nintendo Entertainment System. That was my first system. It's still my big love. I still consider it the best console in the history of video games. Obviously, you know, without the NES, the video games industry probably wouldn't exist today. After the uh, the Atari video game crash, the NES was the console that brought the industry back to life. So yeah. we all, I feel, we all owe the video games industry today to the Nintendo Entertainment System, and it was also the first system, in my opinion, that that is timeless. Uh, once you go one generation back from the NES, you go back to the Atari, the uh, the C64, and so on. The games haven't aged well. Uh, most of the games are are more like relics than they're actually great games today. Where the the great NES titles are still great games today, maybe even better games than most of the games you get today. They were the games that that defined all the genres we know today, and so on. So, definitely my favorite favorite platform of all time and then of course a few years later i got the first pc and then i've been a pc guy ever since
0: yeah i gotta agree with you on that with the nes because the nes i had a a c64 growing up and at at that time in the in the 80s we uh nobody had all the consoles someone had an individual you know i had the c64 my friend down the street had an nes another friend had the sega master system i guess it's the uh I don't know what they called it in in Europe but the the yeah, yeah. the the same yeah I think it was yeah. called yeah. the same yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and and out of all of them I mean the 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 C64 I always thought you know oh the C64 has awesome games and then then I played the, the Nintendo and it was like yeah. oh my god what what am I doing here
3: <laughs> but there's also I think there's also another reason for that I think Fred is uh you know I'm I'm somewhat older than you I don't know yeah. you're at least 10 years older than Fred so uh so you know when Fred was Young kid, you know, starting much earlier than I actually did. Uh, <laughs> That's was, true. Yeah, he is even younger was than me. Almost the only thing we had at the time. Then <laughs> and and I went on to an Amiga. Then I had the NES and the Sega. I actually had quite a few of them. I had a very. Uh, I, pro- I was very spoiled as a kid, to be honest. I think I've almost <laughs> all of the consoles, but I don't remember. And I don't. I think Fred has an amazing collection of all these old games. He's really kept a lot of them in very good condition and it's full true. boxes and. Uh, and you know he has a, it's 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 his retirement fund I think. So I think I think the,
2: the crown jewel is uh we still have an unopened NES at the office, an original box that's completely you know mint with uh, with still the plastic inside and every everything. Ooh. That's probably the, the crown jewel. But you know the the NES was released in Europe way later than in Japan. So I think in '92 it was released. '91 or '92 was released in Denmark. And the huge issue here was that in the rest of the world, they had the Super NES. So if I lived in the United States, I would probably have grown up with the 16-bit era games. But because I grew up in Denmark and we got things way later back then, I I grew up with the same games and consoles as someone who... Like, Mike Mike is like six years older than me, I think, seven. Uh, So I really enjoyed that. Uh, I I loved the 8-bit era. Um, But, you know, we, we were always... Getting games later than anyone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: And it's interesting because I talked about this topic to David Crane about the video game crash. And you know, he was the founder of Activision, the first third party Atari cartridge manufacturer. And he actually said he is responsible for the video game crash because <laughs> he made it appear to the press and to the companies like it's easy to make, e- uh, oh, make big selling <laughs> games, you know, and then all this trash was coming out and he also said that the NES was the reason the video game crash stopped. Yeah. He's totally backing up your side Mm -hmm. of that metal. But the
2: video game crash also opened for, uh, you know, you can blame the crash for a lot of things but, If the crash hadn't happened, Atari would probably still be on top. And since it did happen, then there was a new market completely open, uh, which was the home computing market. Because that was kind of a backdoor into gaming again. People didn't want to buy consoles because of the crash. and consoles were just crappy toys. So they started making games for the Apple II and then for the IBM PC and so on. So that was kind of a gateway into video gaming. And then all of a sudden when the NES exploded and the Super NES, we had the early 90s. All of a sudden, the PC had a huge renaissance with, you know, Apogee basically leading with the torch with everything from Commander Keen and Wolfenstein and um, Duke Nukem and so on. So it's super interesting that the crash, uh, the video game crash with Atari basically spawned two new video game industries, the PC and console space, which is super nice, so... You know, we, yeah. we kind of owe it all to, uh, to Atari fucking Yeah, praise <laughs> to David <laughs>
1: Crane. Thank you for causing the crash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because if, if I look back to, to my memory, in 93, I started playing Commander Keen at, at the age of 11 at school, and in uh, 1998, hmm. we, st- we actually played Duke Nukem. Yeah. yeah, in in classroom. So first we take Commander Key and then it's we in we, classrooms. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
4: You
2: know, I got expelled from school so many times because back in yeah in ninety ninety five ninety six we we started getting you know IBM PCs in the classroom In the back of the classroom we had like three or four PCs that we could use for educational stuff mm-hmm. and it was all linked together because of printing and so on. But the, the IT guy at the school knew very little about it. He you know, <laughs> usually just got a huge manual, you know, got the Windows manual, mm-hmm. and you got the, the network manual, and then you basically had to figure stuff out. So when we figured out that if we ran the, the exe called commit.exe from the Duke, uh, Duke 3D folder, it basically searched for other users running the same program. And then we kind of figured out yeah. that, hey, if you run that in your class or in my class, we, mm-hmm. we can play together. So we played game Three D in in the breaks, and I got expelled so many times because we weren't allowed to play on these these PCs. And then we did everything we could to mess everything up for for the teachers. You know, we we created fake shortcuts. Uh, and, and change the icon to the word icon and so on, that would do completely different things, like delete a lot of stuff on the computers and so on. So we, <laughs> we were expelled so many times for messing with these things just because we wanted to play Duke 3D and Quake and, and all these great games, Command and & Conquer and so on. Yeah. Um, I actually lost my original Duke 3D CD. I still have my, from the very first time I got it, I still had the box and everything, but the actual CD, I lost that in one of the computers because it was in the drive, and then the teacher dragged me out and I was kicked home. And then, and, and then when I came the next day, the CD was gone. So mm-hmm. I think the teachers that took the CD, may broke it or something like that. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. so, so I never saw that again.
1: <laughs> I know. How, how was it for you, Mike, back then? I mean, how, how do you experience your first steps at school and so on? It must be a bit different because you were growing up in the C64 times. Yeah. How was well, it for
3: and, you? Uh, for a long time in my school, we didn't even have computers, I think. It, it came at one point, I remember, and, you know, that was near, I was nearing the end of my education, I think, in, in public school anyway, and we started getting, we had a computer room at that time where there was like, there was just yep. enough computers to fit one class of maybe 25 students, and then that was all for the entire school of 800 students, there were 25 computers, basically, that we could share. And we, you know, we did the same thing. We ran, you know, all these games, Commander Keen, and and all this stuff. We did like, you know, we made like primitive viruses, you know, just a just a <laughs> file that would copy itself every time the computer booted. So it would like double in size every time. And at one point, that really starts, you know, if it starts off at one kilobyte, you know, it'll it'll very quickly be like filling up 40, gig, 40 megabytes of hard drive, you know. So um, and you know, no, no, none of the teachers really are. Knew about it. it just, you know, we just started, you know, trying stuff out, and you know, we figured it out pretty easily. I remember I got my very first PC when I was, uh, you know, we have confirmation here, and do you know what that is? Like, uh, you yes. know, it's very traditional to do it. I'm not a Christian or anything like that, right. but I am. Baptized, and I do have yes. my Christian confirmation. It's a very, it's more of a tradition here than it's actually a ritual. Uh, like a, but, but, and for that, there's a big party normally connected with that. And my, you know, I, I got a 486 SX25, I think, with a turbo switch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Some, one of the first games I played on it, I think, and that was really, you know, with the door shut and everything, you know, my parents couldn't know it was a lesser le- 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 shoot, Larry, basically, you know, which was not like, <laughs> against uh, kids, you know, because uh, I remember the very first scene, I was like, "Have sex and then I die," because I forgot to use protection. I didn't know what protection was. I think at that time, <laughs> <laughs> it was just, uh, that was that, you know, that, that and that was, you know, at that time, I had already been programming on my Amiga. You know, I used to do some uh, basic programming on there, and and that that rolled over to PC and from there, I started programming Pascal, and I've actually done a lot of programming on CoolShop. If you look at the my former company, the very first version of CoolShop, I programmed almost all of it, and even the current version that you see now, even though it's two years since I stopped, I've had a, a finger in a lot of that stuff as well. So um, if you go to 3drealms.com, I'm a very, uh, I think, not a, not a typical CEO. If you go to 3drealms.com, that entire site, you know, the programming code behind it is written entirely by me. So. Um, wow. You know, with a lot of open source inspiration and stuff like that, of course, and and using modules where it makes sense to use open source modules, but, you know, putting it all together, I've coded all that up, and and Fred has done all of the layout, and uh, so, yeah, I think we're very very hands-on kind of people, and I think that comes from, I'm getting derailed now, but that comes from, I think, at least from, from my point, my very early interest in computers in general, you know, I really like the technical side of it, I used to play a lot, but I I think, in fairness, i'm not as big a fan as Fred was uh, and is playing games, and I haven't played as many games as he has but but you know i, I you know it, it really got me started and it's I think it's the main reason I'm here today you know it was the fact that I was able to make a web web shop like twelve years ago when it was you know only just Amazon and a few other really major players getting started you know, basically so um eBay yeah eBay and all these like really traditional Old school uh, stuff you know that, that that's done really well, and now it's everyone's going going online obviously and has have, have done so for a long long time, but back then it was very, very basic and uh, Fred keeps saying that at one point I need to start coding a little bit of game as well i haven't actually <laughs> ever coded a game like not a real game, but uh, but uh, maybe in uh, in the next uh, interceptor project, I'll write a few lines of code for that or something like
1: that <laughs> um, Easter egg or something
3: yeah, yeah, exactly oh, yeah.
1: yeah that 's interesting because you said you you didn 't really plan to be an investor in a video game company, but Fred no. convinced you
3: yeah that 's true i I think I was actually trying to get away from video games when I stopped at Cool shop <laughs> because that was pretty much what we sold not not that i didn 't like it anymore it was just I just wanted to try something else because I really love cool shop. I love that business. I'm still part owner of it, so I'm not. I just don't work there anymore. But uh, so it, I wasn't really looking for that. I was actually looking more towards uh, you know tech companies, like you know like like technology software companies, not in games, but doing new. Uh, I think ma- mostly in business software is what I was interested in. Basically, companies developing new business software that could help businesses, you know, in, in different areas. Basically, that's what I was looking for. And then suddenly, I've, I, you know, I, I go to a meeting with Fred. I'm extremely skeptical because games is just notoriously difficult to invest in. Uh, it's a lot, very difficult to make your money back if you don't know what you're doing. And uh, and here's Fred, uh, a young guy with a great idea. And uh, I just, uh, I was, I was almost hooked instantly. I had two meetings that day. It was sort of like a almost like Dragon's Den in a small version, <laughs> you know, <laughs> where like two investors come, uh, sorry, two uh, uh, entrepreneurs come and pitch to me, and then. They get half an hour each to sell me the, the idea. And, uh, and yeah, and Fred really nailed that, I think, together with the, with a long time advisor and, and, and your, and your stepdad, basically, who, who's helped a lot with, the with advice and, and stuff like that on how to, to get Interceptor off the ground. So, uh, and, and he's still helping a lot, actually. So, um,
0: yeah, we're talking about 3D realms and that's kind of a, a, a big one for a lot of reasons. And, you know, we were just talking about, where you guys started with your, your first gaming experiences and all that. And mm-hmm. we've had different people on the podcast and most of that, you know, I've heard of the games. I've never actually really played them because I'm not... I've never been a big gamer. But mm. with this one, it's like I've actually played... Even before I played Doom or Quake or anything mm. else, I played Duke Nukem. Yeah. You know, and I was kind of a holdout. You know, I, I kept on... I held on to my my Commodore for a little bit longer than I probably should have and, you know, we we... Started getting the stuff in in the schools, and then uh you know I'd go over to my friend's house, and he had a PC, and we'd sit there oh. and we'd play that, and it, it was something really kind of kind of different because you know I I knew of these other games, but Duke Nukem had some stuff that was just that that the other stuff didn't have, you know, and that you know you could go into a strip club and throw money at people, or or you know <sighs> use the urinals in the bathroom and stuff, you know, it's yeah. it's not, nothing Third else insight. really yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know compared to compared to the rest of the stuff, you know, doom you're just kind of walking around shooting stuff, and there's no there's no real personality to the character you're playing you're you're supposed to it's it's similar to writing writing a book where you don't really give your yeah. main character too much personality because you want the the reader to kind of identify with them, so you do yeah, that exactly. with with most video game characters, but they really went a totally different way with that and gave him this really kind of absurd. You know, almost Bruce Campbell personality, you know, where he's yeah. yapping off phrases and doing ridiculous <laughs> things and, you yeah. know, which really made it like a really cool game. So this is really sort of um I'm talking a lot, but this is no, no, this is <laughs> kind of kind of interesting in that, you know, I've played I've played Duke Nukem and I've played uh, Wolfenstein 3D. That was one of the first ones I played when I actually got a Mac. My brother and I used to play that. And, and I was, there's one of the bosses or somebody in there, you know, he, you go, he goes, Guten Tag. And he, you know, you're like, Oh crap. And my brother and I still do that. He'll sneak up behind me and go, Guten Tag, you know, and yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> stupid
0: stuff like that. But I've played that and I've played Commander Keen and, and these other games. So it's like, it's, this is actually like a legitimate, like I have history with these games as do you guys in bringing this back. And so uh, one of the things that I was asking was um, how it ties into kind of the, the nostalgia factor mm-hmm. in that a lot of companies are coming back that were around back in the, the 80s and the 90s. And they're popping back now and they're capitalizing on this stuff that they had that they had done years ago and that people really want to, I guess, re-experience or, or re-explore. And, and I just, you know, what, what is your, your feeling on the, the, the role of nostalgia in this? And
2: well, nostalgia is, is, is probably the biggest selling factor. The, uh, the, the, the primary reason for us to bring back these games are that we were in a situation where we could bring them back. Uh, Three Runs has been in limbo for so long, and they, they had the distribution rights and were the distributors of these games originally. Uh, but since Three Runs was in limbo and it was basically a non-functioning company for, for many years... Uh, they didn't have the capabilities to bring these games back as they deserved. And we just thought it would be the most thing in the world to do, to, to take all of these classic games that, that define the PC generation and at least bring them back in a pack where people could play them on, on modern systems. Um, that would be the very, very first step. Uh, so it, it is a purely nostalgic product. It, it appeals to everyone who grew up with these games and who, who remember these games uh, and allows them to play it on, on modern platforms. And we gave a few facelifts here and there. We made a nice little launch. We made new cover graphics and made everything appeal uh, to new gamers as well that want to try and dig into the, the past and history of, of PC gaming. So, uh, yeah, definitely. The, the, the nostalgia factor was especially the driving force behind the, the product.
0: And this is the, the anthology that we're, that we're talking about, With has the... Pretty much the entire cat- back catalog, definitely,
1: and the soundtrack, a special soundtrack. Yes. Yeah,
2: this, the soundtrack is, is a different thing. So, uh, what uh, what what we especially liked about these old games, you know, what what sticks to our minds besides the, the visuals and the gameplay, was the soundtrack. And we had our internal composer Andrew redo the tracks from Rise of the Triad for the new Rise of the Triad, and he did an amazing job on that. So, the natural natural next step was to have him do more tracks by Lee Jackson and Bobby Prince, who, who made over 90% of the tracks of, uh, of the old Apogee and Three Runs games. So we, we basically picked out some less-known tracks uh, that were really cool from a range of different old titles and had uh, our composer Andrew redo those in, uh, in heavy metal and rock and so on uh, to create a nice little extra gift for, uh, for this anthology. So uh, that, that's what, what's, what's called the re soundtrack. So that's, uh, that, that's a really, really cool little thing that we love
1: doing. I figured you, might, you may have a special connection to music because if I'm not mistaken, your father has, is a drumming teacher or something?
2: Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's a musician. He plays primarily piano, marimba, drums and so on. He has a music school called Schreiberschule, Uh, I think it's on uh, trommelkids.de, he has a school in Flensburg where he uh, basically teaches kids from like five and up to play drums and marimba and play in orchestras and
1: travel around Germany and so on. So would you say you you also have this influence by him and also pay attention to the music of of the games or of the anthologies especially? Yeah, I I grew up with
2: with the NES and the drums. My father, uh, in his house, when I was two, three, four years old, the only things I was exposed to from my father's side, since I'm a boy, you know, the father is exposing you to all the cool things, that was uh, the drum kit and the Nintendo. So it was those two directions, and for most of my life, it went into the music direction. And then at some point, I think I was... 10 or 11 um, and I've been playing music all my life and uh, then he told me that uh, I had to soon make a decision if I want to go to the, in Denmark it's called the conservatory, it's like the music academy to become a professional musician or if I wanted to do something else and he basically told me that he would not advise me to become a professional musician because you can be one of the best musicians in the world and you still won't be able to make a living off of it. And that was kind of what uh, convinced me not to go that route and keep music as a hobby. And then as, as I got more and more into the, the games industry and decided to do that for a living and change my life and work around games, uh, music became uh, something I didn't really do anymore. I haven't played the drums for I don't know how many years, mostly because I don't have time, but also because games is and was my biggest passion. But I've, I've always had a good ear for music. Uh, since I grew up. So I, I do all the music directing on our products as well. and And Seriously. have long meetings with our composer to, to let him know, okay, we need this here, and if you go and do this instead, and this direction, and so on. So we we have a super, super good uh, collaboration between us uh, on all the tracks for you know, Razzle Triad, and now the new game Bombshell as well, which is completely different. We're going more of a Hans simmer route, uh, with a way way more epic score, so that's actually scoring instead of creating a track, you know. So it's it's really challenging. It's super fun. Uh, so yeah, the music has been definitely been a, a huge part of my life as well.
0: Let's talk about Bombshell because that's um, you know some of these companies come out and they put out their older games and they sort of sit back on, you know, the victories of yesteryear. But you guys are taking 3D Realms and you're actually doing new stuff with it. You're moving it into the, into the future, developing newer things. And Bombshell seems to be the, the big one. And I'm looking at the webpage right now and it doesn't say anything other than that's coming in 2015.
2: <laughs> I just so. sent the link. That's what we're going to reveal in, mm-hmm. uh, in a few months from now. That's an in-game shot from the game. But uh, but yeah, that, that's that's what bombshell is.
4: That
0: looks very interesting. Yeah,
2: that is but, uh, that that's that's the current game we're working on.
1: Ah, interestingly, compared to the preview video you released, her face doesn't seem to be so metallic and destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: we, uh, we we showed like a, a trailer of a different bombshell, and yeah. the ah. reason for that, uh, you know, that, that was a really bad decision. We yeah. were
3: trying to rush it out the door because we we're a small studio, and uh, we just wanted to, you know, really follow our initial plan. And, and, and yeah,
2: really there was us- multiple issues with with our release plan yeah. for that, mostly because we were we were still working on on the other project, and we kind of tried to to reveal this as soon as we could to get people's minds off of Duke and more on this new game, and. Rushing something to please the fans is the worst thing you can do because then you won't please anyone. Then, then everyone will see this is a rushed thing that they did, and we we immediately saw that uh, once we revealed it, uh, and and from that moment on, I think it was it wasn't even like a week after yeah. we we had the thing scrapped and started over, and we basically sat down from that point and decided, okay. What, what is Bombshell? What should Bombshell be about? Who is she? What's her name? What's her story? What's the story of the game? And we started spending weeks and months writing the entire lore around the game, the entire character. What's going to happen in Bombshell 2 and 3? What are the different planets you're visiting and what are their ecosystem and the races and what are their conflicts? And we just went completely nuts on it and completely redesigning the entire thing. As you can see, we, we all, we took down the old stuff. Because it's not representative of anything we're working on currently. Uh, what you see on the screenshot is then what uh, what has come out, uh, f- uh, what we've been working on and developing for for the past year or so, uh, which we're revealing very soon with gameplay and so on. Uh, so so that's the product that we're proud of, and that's a product where we decided to show it when it was ready to be shown, and not. Say okay, let's let's just show it at this date and brush everything as fast as we can to have it ready. So if, that was the biggest mistake we've done. Everyone, <laughs> you know, does a mistake like that at some point uh, where they are pushed by marketing people and uh, you know events. F- we have to have something ready for packs or GDC or E3 and so on. But if you don't have anything ready, it's 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 hurting the product way more to show it. Than to wait for the next event, that, that was just a big mistake from our side. So, uh, so we're really really looking forward to re revealing, as we're saying, bombshell, and we really hope that when people see the old one, that they um, that they really
1: like what they see with the new one. Well, if I may, if I measure share my opinion, when I saw the first preview, I thought, okay, this looks like Terminator in a female body or something. And I don't know if that is a character I would like to look at when I play, you know. <laughs> but this here looks more feminine, but still strong, yeah. but not like a Terminator yeah. person. You know? That's my, f- that, that was my first impression comparing the old version and the new version. I guess that's definitely the better way to go. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, that's that.
2: that's what we thought as well. The the, the first version was was uh, was designed as an kind of anonymous sidekick uh, that would not steal the show. We completely redid Bombshell from ground up as as a really really strong female action hero that can. That can stand the test of time. She will, she'll be able to to fight, you know, Lara Croft and Bayonetta and these other female characters. And and you know, Bombshell is the kind of girl that that could kick both Lara Croft and Bayonetta's ass if she wanted to. <laughs> uh, she's not a she's not a very um, feminine person in that way. She's a very very strong female leader. You can compare, her, yeah, maybe a bit to Sarah Connor from Terminator. Uh, she she has feminine sides. But uh, mostly she's a leader, a very, very strong leader. Um, you know, she takes her, her her mission extremely seriously and and she wants to do everything she can to protect the ones she, she truly cares about. So she's a very, very different character. She, do, she doesn't show any kind of weakness. And she's also not a... Um, Uh, what do you say a sexified person you know you you don't see a huge cleavage and you don't see a ton of skin and so on because she would she's not the kind of person that would care about those things you don't see jewelry you don't see um she's a very hands-on person that that does not care that much about those kind of things
0: which i think that's kind of a good thing because there's a lot of these games that have especially female characters in it now and and again you know like i said you know 3D realms with with Duke was one of the first ones to really give a personality to their main character, and then yeah. other games, kind of other companies, sort of started doing the same thing, making Lara Crofts and stuff like that, where you you actually you know are playing a character that has specific things. But so many of them are not so much focused on the gameplay or the personality, but focused on how well their boobs jiggle when they run.
4: Exactly. You well, know,
0: so it's and I, and I think that's kind of a good thing because a lot hmm. of people have problems with. Or a lot of people aren't necessarily. I mean, a lot a lot of guys like looking at that, and you know, I mean, that's. But there's also a lot of people that say that that's kind of over sexualizing the characters, and so yeah, to yeah. to have someone that doesn't do that is kind of refreshing, I think.
1: Mm. Well, I mean, what was Trump Raider famous for? For the nude patch, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah.
2: Exactly. <laughs> and I think I think in, in in this current era, so something that we we personally uh, dislike. And, and I know it, it, it sounds kind of contradicting when looking at our old version of Bombshell, but our old version of Bombshell was not was not intended to be uh, a main character. But something we personally dislike is when, when female characters are overly sexualized in video games and are supposed to be heroes. Um, not, not saying that these games are not great games, but we, we do think that, that strong lead female characters that are strong because of their personality and the leadership capabilities and, and their vision and their goals and so on are way more important than trying to sexualize them through showing too much skin and doing all these kind of things. And that's something that we that we personally don't like that much. And and that's something that we, we thought a lot about in Bombshell. What is her personality and how can that personality shine through the way she looks and acts and so on? And that's, that's how she, she came to look like she does today. There's a ton of story in her entire look. Like every single little part of her tells a story of why it, she looks like that and what happened and so on. But she still has that innocent beauty that we still feel female characters need in order because you, even though a, a female character is a strong female leader, you still want to kind of fall in love with her because mm-hmm. it is your hero. It is a person you want to care for and care right. about and you want the best for that person so we we think we found a really really good middle way uh, with this with this character and we're extremely proud and we we can't wait to show the world uh what bombshell uh, will look like and especially what the game feels like it's mm. such a different game from anything i've ever played so uh that's gonna be very exciting
0: cool and, and when does that come out or when do you uh we, cannot, kind of-
2: uh we cannot talk about the release date yet but yeah. uh but we will we will reveal and yeah, show the ready. game um, very soon, uh, and then
3: uh, we're, we're revealing it at DDC. We will be showing off the game to the press behind closed doors. So uh, I think that's uh, that that's pretty much set in stone. And then hopefully we'll be releasing sometime after that. So um,
1: do you both guys already think of it like a franchise, like movie? Like sheets for the bad, posters, or <laughs> yeah. don't, don't you think so far yet? So one of, of one of
2: the core things in the way we develop games now compared to previously, you know, our first game was Rise to the Triad, which is a completely different title, is that we're thinking of, of every game we do as, as transmedia IPs, meaning that the IP is strong enough and there's a story verse created around the IP that's strong enough to to support everything from movies and books and TV shows and so on. We think that is important even though you you may not want to create other properties such as movies and TV shows and comics and so on. It's important to create a story verse around the game before even starting working on the game to make sure that when you start working on the game, when you create the characters and the looks and the worlds and so on, you create them in an already established world. And that makes everything much more thought out. It makes everything make more sense that if you place like say you have a rune on an alien world, that rune looks the way it does and acts the way it does because of another story, another place in this universe that is not necessarily part of the game, but it's all planned out. So when we designed... The story goes around Bombshield. We also plan for Bombshield 2 and 3. So the game, the game will end and will have a great ending, but it will not be the end of the overall story arc, which is way bigger than, than the the mission that Bombshield is on in this game. We also have a lot of pre-chrome material, what happened before this game, how she, she got to look the way she looks. And what happened to her body and what happened in her previous life. Why is she acting the way she is when she meets certain people in this game and so on. Uh, So we think it's important that the people feel that they get a look inside a world and they get a look at a specific story set in this world that we created. But there might be a ton of other stories in this world and a ton of other events going on and so on that we refer to in the game. Um, that's something that's extremely important when you want to create new IP that can sustain multiple games and doesn't feel like an empty shell. So definitely yes.
0: Yeah, and I can imagine that would be make it way more immersive to even just be in the game because you feel like you're in something that's something that's already uh, taking place and there's things happening around you and and yeah, that you're not yeah. just just going through the list of things you have to exactly. do to finish the game.
2: You're basically, you're basically thrown into the action, and you have no idea what's going on. People are talking around you, and NPCs are saying things, but, you know, Bombshell response. but your reaction as a gamer is, wow, what, what's going on, and what are they talking about? And then the more you play and the further you get. You're kind of starting to understand what's happening in this world, and, and what's, what's the overall issue here, and you start guessing who the real villain is, and what's going on, and so on. And that, that's,
1: that's something we feel is super interesting to do. I think it sounds a bit like Zack McCracken and Maniac Mansion in a way on the Commodore 64 where you start playing that game and you didn't know what you're after. I remember there was this fill for a chainsaw in Zack McCracken and when you tried to pick it up it said this is for another game and this was a reference (laughs) to Maniac Mansion actually because in Maniac Mansion you had the the fill but not the chainsaw and in Zack McCracken you had the chainsaw but not the Phil. Yeah. So, if I understand you correctly, you we will also create a world that the player doesn't understand from the beginning, but has to experience, yeah. and then finding out what's going on is.
3: I think that sounds about right. Do you agree, Fred?
1: Yeah, you know, we we
2: we show hints of things. Everything we show is, of course, related to the game, but it's the things that that you find and be, some of the mistakes you might also find is, uh, relates to other stories that are not told in this game but could be told in other games something something we're doing with you know with, with rot this game we have two other games that we're slowly starting production up on is that every game is somehow linked together in in a big story verse where right. everything can coexist.
1: So it's not only about shooting, it's also kind of an adventure game and an adventure series that's linked to yeah, each other.
2: We don't call bombshell we don't want to call it an action RPG because the RPG elements and the action RPG elements and so on are not the same way as you experience them in a game like Diablo, Never Diablo, Neverwinter Nights, Baldur's Gate and so on. We call it more of an action adventure game. Because there are, uh, there are RPG elements, but we, we're not designing the game as, hey, you know, here's an RPG, so we absolutely <laughs> d- we do need advanced Dungeons & Dragons rule sets and we do need you know to level up the characters and these skill trees for all these things and each weapon needs its own and so on. We, we're not doing it that way. We're putting in RPG elements where we feel they seem fit and that's why we call it an action-adventure with RPG elements. But it's, it's more about creating what we think is a really, really good game and a great story. Then we're just making it really, really fun. And that, that's what it's all about. Very immersive, very cinematic as well. And, and super fast paced. It, it feels like playing a first person shooter, but you, you see it from a completely different first perspective. And it's, it's a, a ton of fun. It's very unique. Uh, we use the camera a lot uh, since we're working with next gen systems. We basically the budgets you usually have for uh, polygons and tricounts and so on, for characters and environments and texture sizes and so on, in the previous generation, is what you can use today for, for instance, isometric games, which means that we can create mass effect level of quality or uncharted level of quality characters uh, from the previous generation uh, today that are an inch tall on the screen. And you can zoom in and out and see, you know, the eyeballs and the the hairs, you know, and, and the... The, all the details in the skin and sweat and all that stuff, completely high detail without without any kind of blur, uh, smooth transitions and so on. So we're using that a lot to get a lot of cinematics where the camera fly all the way in and you see her eyes and you see like real-time reflection cube maps. And it's, it's super, super nice to be able to do all of this without loading times and so on. So the next generation really allows us to mix and match genres around the game. Not just staying with one camera angle for the entire ah. thing. It's,
1: it's super interesting. So it won't be another Doom. It it won't no.
0: Okay, so that I'm means I'm looking forward to that. Now now will we'll, ah. will there be a Mac version?
2: <laughs> well, actually, Mike is uh, is kind of experimenting with that. Ah. I will would say that they're most likely will. It's it's so straightforward today porting um, UE3 Unreal Engine three games to the Mac. It's something that we will do sooner or later. We can't say if it will be on release, but it, it's something we'll definitely experiment with and, uh, and see if we can get out relatively close to the release
1: of the
0: game. Okay. Well, if I not, mean, I'll, I'll put Windows on my machine just so I can play it.
1: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but as you know, probably Steam started with a Linux client too, I think, a Linux client, yeah. yeah. So, so even Steam is reaching out to other platforms. And that's the same thing with the Mac. You know, The, the
2: Mac version of, of all of our games will probably be a Mac version through Steam, Steam on Mac. Yeah. Um, that, I know that's why Mike plays most of his games, is, is also on Steam on Mac. Because most games today are released simultaneously on Steam for both Mac and PC. Right. So it's not that big of an issue today. And yeah. uh, we, we will aim to do the same thing. But we are a small studio. And the most important yeah. thing for us is getting the game out. Yeah. Um, and then getting it out on other platforms afterwards. Yeah.
1: yeah. So so let me ask you, Mike, how are you actually planning to, to work with that? Because when I buy a game nowadays, I have two yeah. options. Either I get the DVD or yeah. I get it on Steam. So if I play it on DVD, I get the data on DVD and mm-hmm. then it's using my account on Steam to verify that I'm an owner with my key. Yeah. But then I figured I installed it on a new computer and I didn't even need my DVD because yeah. it was remembering, okay, I had this. I was yeah. a, le- a legitimate owner because I have it in my Steam games. So yeah. it just downloaded it.
3: Um, yeah. it, it I mean, it, it, it's, yeah. that's the way it's going all the way. You know, a lot of these... Uh, it's a good way to make sure that that no one is, uh, you know, running games that not don't haven't bought. But and it it's also a huge convenience. Uh, you know, we're not huge fans of DRM techniques that limit your way of, of playing your games, but we do understand that it's necessary. You know, no, no one is interested in having your games send around for free. But but you know, for, for, for Bombshell and, and at least for most of the projects we're working on, we we're going digital only at the time. But I have to say, I think I can say that Fred without revealing too much. It's a big dream of ours to do. A physical version of a game at one point, because uh, as I was mentioning, you should see Fred's collection of of boxed games. You know, it it would be a dream for us to release, you know, a full all time box with manual and you know all these cool things. Basically, that 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 was our childhood when we when you got a game as a child. You know, that was that was part of the whole magic was to get this box, open it up, look at the manual, load up the game, and you know today it's not necessary really, but but it's still something we're you know we're exploring the opportunity of of doing that but uh, but it's also extremely expensive and uh, there
0: seems to be kind of a uh, a bend towards going that way cuz when we had uh when we had uh, cinema wear on here they were talking the same thing they were wanted to put out yeah. you know certain things in the with the the case and the manual and everything all set up for you know limited edition runs usually but yeah exactly. it seems that a lot of people even though Everything's going digital. There's still some people that like to have an actual physical thing they can stick on their shelf and look at, you know.
3: I think it's the same as you see. LP still has some kind of. There's still a market for that, and it's the same with CDs as well. You know, CD sales have declined rapidly for music, but there's still a market for it. You know, it's still going on, and I think it'll be the same with games for a long time. It'll still probably keep declining, but there'll still be a core of people who want their games, and Mm -hmm. I think AAA games will continue to. To come out you know we'll probably see less of them come out uh, physically as we go forward, but I think the major ones will still come out in limited editions with statues and you know all kinds of goodies, basically you know it, it's a good way to cater to your fans and it's also frankly a good way to to make money I think, and to get your game yeah. displayed in every every shop where possible basically
1: so mm-hmm. Mike you said with it costs a lot thing. of money. <laughs> Is it it costs a lot of money, but do, did you actually consider making a Kickstarter project because that is what a lot of companies do nowadays? I have to ask this because it's so <laughs> yeah. so hype. He
0: it loves, it loves so the hyped. Kickstarter stuff, you love the Kickstarter,
1: yeah. You know, I,
3: I love Kickstarter as well, you know. I've, I support quite a lot of projects on there, and uh, I think it's a great way to do you know to get stuff off the ground. It's um, the only thing you know, we're a little bit hesitant about it. I I know Fred feels the same, and he can probably talk more about it, is you know, we, we we like to keep the game you know under wraps until we're ready to show it off. Uh, you know, we'd like to get more. You know, that, at least that's something we learned in the bombshell reveal. And the problem with Kickstarter is that it's you know it, it's a little bit of a mixed experience, especially for games, because anyone can put up a good idea. But, but you, I think you really have to look at the team behind it, look at how far they are. You know, if it's just concepts and the team. Has no experience. I would be, you know, I'm always careful in that case. You know, I, I, you know, I won't complain. It's just maybe twenty, forty bucks. It's not a, it's not a fortune yet. That you lose, but you see a lot of these projects fail basically even after they're funded. You know, they fail to oh, deliver yeah. on time, and and then you just see like old industry legends like Ron Gilbert and Gary Winnick put up. Uh, uh, did you guys see the new uh, Thimbleweed Park? Yeah, you know, that, that's that's the dead show. For the I, funded, I, I supported that immediately. Um, <laughs> Because, you know, I, I just want a game like that. And, and it's, uh, and I know these guys have been in the industry for so long. When they put up a budget, I'm pretty sure they know what they're talking about, you know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah
0: well, there's some too that, it, you know, people will look at the, the amount of money that's trying to be raised. And for yeah. an actual, you know, like a, like a legitimate, you know, as, as you're calling it, a triple A game, that's, that's quite a bit of money that would go into it. And a lot of yeah. people don't want to really get behind something like that. Cause. Yeah. Again, there was one. There was a Kickstarter for for a game. It was a, a a redo of a game, and I think they they were trying to get about ninety thousand dollars to do it, yeah. which is somewhat reasonable when you've got a team of people. You know, that's not even yeah. really paying a year's salary for each person. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. But then there's someone else that puts up a more realistic number, which was what was that, York? That the the number that uh
1: forty million or something or fifty yeah. million or something. Yeah, or something. And,
0: and and no one's gonna want to put up that kind of money for you know. A, a game. We saw like it that. a little bit
3: with, with OutKast as well, which is a game, you know, I know Fred loves it, classic game as well. They put up a very ambitious uh, Kickstarter for, I think, was it 600,000? Yeah, something and, like that, yeah. And that didn't make it, you know. Uh, I think they just put the target way too high. They should have put a smaller target and they probably would have reached 600,000 mm. in stretch goals. Right. But, but, that, but, that's
2: something, a, you know, a general rule in, in Kickstarter race that yeah. you ask for half of what you need. Yeah. Um, Because once you reach your goal, the goal should not be the goal of making the full game. The goal, you know, the initial goal of the Kickstarter campaign and the money you need should be to create something that can get in the people's hands, whether it's a great prototype or Mm. or it's a demo or something like that. And then the stretch goals should be polishing that thing to make it a good real product. Because people are pledging, you know, one, two, five dollars. For yeah. a game that, in the future, when the whole thing is done, might be a sixty-dollar game. So, right. I don't think that that uh, pledging a Kickstarter products uh, you need to to pledge a product that that ends up with uh, this huge AAA game. Uh, it can be, you know, an experimental product, or uh, as long as the, the as the pledges get something for the money. If it's five dollars, give them a prototype. If it's you know, fifty dollars. Give them the prototype plus some cool swag or figurines or whatever they can produce out of it. But I think the biggest mistake is most of these Kickstarter games. They uh, they basically make a budget for the game that says, "Oh, we need five hundred k. Let's make a Kickstarter for five hundred k. Make it for two fifty k, and then make the stretch goals go up to five hundred k or a million or whatever." Uh, because then you get something. You know, if you don't get to five, if you get get four hundred ninety nine k dollars, uh, four hundred ninety nine thousand, then you get nothing, which would be terrible. Which is terrible. You know, the outcast guys, they they got like two three hundred thousand dollars, and they didn't see a dime of that. And uh. that that was because they aimed too high. Uh, so I think that's the biggest mistake from most Kickstarter projects.
1: I mean, I mean um, the latest project, Rocket Ranger Reloaded, from um, Cinema Bear. They just made it in the last hour or something. They almost didn't make it, so I can see where you are aiming here. And the sad thing is, Fred, what you said—it was also the reason for David Crane to to stop developing games in 2011 because of this failed Jungle Hunt. Yeah, and and the press going after him, like, how can you want millions? Or a game couldn't have been made cheaper, but but as you said, maybe it's really better to say we just want a portion of it than we go with the stretch goals by PayPal because that is what a lot of projects are doing right now.
2: I completely agree. I completely agree. And you know those fifty million dollar budgets. I uh, we live in the world today where I cannot see how a game, no matter the scope of it can be that expensive to make. And that's coming solely from my own experience. I know that the cheap AAA games are between fifteen to thirty million dollars. And then you have like you know mid AAA game from from thirty to fifty million and then above fifty to you know two, three hundred million you have a huge AAA such as the Call of Duties and the Onchars and Halos and, and so on. But uh, I think most of it lies in the issue of having of having localized studios in places where salary uh, levels are extremely high and you have extremely high costs in terms of both production and marketing that are not necessary. If if you sh- solely put together a team based on where the talent is located and how good the talent is thank you. Excuse um, me. whether it's a localized or virtual studio you can cut those budgets in, in one tenth and that was the, the core goal of Interceptor that was to say you know what let's find the top test, 10 best talent we can and collect the 40 man team and that talent appears to be, we have a guy in, in New Zealand, Mexico, Australia, England, France, Italy, Spain. We have from so many places in the world where salary, salary rates are from the most expensive country in the world to one of the cheapest countries in the world. But what's common is that what we pay in salaries, everyone lives like kings, if you call it that, in their <laughs> own respective countries. Yep. Uh, we will never be able to get, like, we have a great concert artist team in uh, that lives in Mexico. They are some of the best we've ever worked with. And I'm sure that if you if you ask any other AAA studio uh, about these guys talent, they would say the same, but they would never hire them because they cannot get them to to their respective countries. They cannot move them to to United States or Europe and so on because they have no education. They are artists. They they are trained in art and you cannot put that on paper and say, "Hey, do you have an education?" Yeah, I'm I'm good at drawing on paper, you know, and I know <laughs> a bit, it, a little bit of Photoshop uh, or something. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, that does not give you a work visa, and, and that's absolutely terrible. And no one is is harnessing this the same way as, at, at least that's my experience, Michael. You know, if you agree, I, I haven't yes. seen other studios tr- harnessing this the same way as we do. Some of them are used as just outsourcing.
4: Mm-hmm. You know, they
2: sign up with an outsourcing company and then they get a stack of tasks mm-hmm. and they have to draw all this shit uh, just to make a living. Uh, what we want to do is we want to make sure that these guys feel like being part of a team, whether they are in Mexico or they're in Denmark or United States. They need to feel like they're part of this team. And it doesn't matter if we are all in the same room or if we're spread around the globe. But mm-hmm. what this allows us is we can we, we give Pretty good salaries, easily comparable to other studios if the studios were in their respective countries. But we're we have such a lean operation, and we're so aware of our costs uh, around everything we do that that we can produce these games for one tenth of the budgets that other studios do because we we don't we don't buy like skyscraper building offices and we you know we don't we don't spend like thirty million dollars in marketing because that's just nuts and there's so many things. That raise the costs of these projects and causes yeah. someone to make a fifty million dollar Kickstarter project yeah. that fails, mm. where you could easily make the game for for ten million or five or maybe even two or one million dollars, mm. um, if you're just aware of how you spend that money and if you're aware of all the talent that is out there in the world. We have one Danish employee and we're a Danish company. Uh, you know, besides Mike and I, you know, Mike is not an employee, but the only actual other employee we have that's Danish, this one guy. And that's not because we decided, oh, we just want one Danish employee. It's because this the the most talented guy that we could get was apparently from from Denmark. You know, of all the applications we got, that's the only Danish guy. We didn't think about, hey, let's let's look at how many Danish guys we can get because they live close by. You know, down at our office we have uh, a guy who moved from England, we have a guy from Poland, one from Holland, and then uh, Jacob is the only one from Denmark, actually. Yeah.
3: Besides uh, you and me, yeah. yeah. So
2: so it, it's a very, very unique way. And we were kind of forced to work this way because Duke Reloaded was virtual and because Rise of Titles was virtual, both low-budget products that were created out of passion. There were projects that were made to enter the games industry. You always have to make a lot of sacrifices in order to make something so people will will see, oh, this, these guys are actually talented. They can actually make something that's worth playing. And then you have to work it from there. But we'll never do $50 million projects. We'd, we'd love to get $50 million and make a game for it. But it's just hard for me to see how to spend $50 million making a game, no matter how big and good it is unless you're wasting a ton of money in a lot of places where you could save them on other things. I do get how important marketing aspect is of it. Yeah. You know, you see a game you see I think the latest Batman game had a marketing budget of thirty million dollars. Yes, of course you need the big movie yeah. theater commercials for professional actors and so on. But that's a completely different aspect. And that should not be part of your game development budget. But there's a lot of aspects in it. But I I do think uh, games can be made way cheaper than they are when you talk AAA and that's something that, that we, we really want to change.
1: We want to up the quality and lower the budgets. Speaking about marketing, Mike said he didn't like at first to be in public so much and give interviews and so on.
3: <laughs> I've always tried to be very anonymous, is what I was saying at, at CoolShop at least. I never really did a lot of interviews or anything like that. We had a marketing director who
1: took care of all that. So um, those. this is one of those... <laughs> keys in marketing i guess you are available for a lot of people i mean i emailed you and you were saying oh this sounds like a good idea so let me know and, then, and then he
0: actually spoke to us and he realized how wrong he was <laughs> <laughs>
1: no no i guess i guess you are i, I hope you are doing fine
0: you noticed that your mark that your um what is yes? Who is she, the, Marketing uh, director. Marketing is director is, actually, is looking yeah, for people. She's
1: actually looking for people on uh, for AAA developers, game developers on LinkedIn. Yeah, she has yeah. she has it on her profile. Like, contact me if you want to work for us. <laughs> so. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about that plans?
3: I can only say that we we're looking to add a lot more developers under our umbrella again, and uh, we, we're we trying to use uh, a model that's that's inspired uh, by how 3ds used to do it, which is a model where you know we leave a lot of control with the developers. We don't like. We don't like uh, to take uh, take them in and, and, and crush their dreams and creativity. And we know that it's so important that the developers maintain creative freedom uh, as much as possible. So we, we try to, 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 uh, to provide, uh, you know, because why would you want a publisher today? You know, you don't really need a publisher. You know, you can get a long way with self-publishing and Steam and iOS and all that. Uh, but but we still think our brand and and our know how carries a lot of value. But, but we need to be different. We can't just you know, uh, I think we, we we can't we can't do it like a traditional publisher. So we we're trying we're trying uh, alternative approaches. You know, uh, and, and 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 I think a lot of that is to do with the creative freedom that we want to keep with the developers. We don't want to. You know come in and 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 take over their project and totally alter it uh, you know we like to give feedback, we like to change the project if it makes sense and if you know but it has to be through a joint decision not not, not through a a dictatorship you can say by a big publisher so uh, because we're not a big publisher either that's the other side of it so uh, we we're, we're basically a, almost like a new company starting up
1: well at least you got you got uh, Joe Ziegler and Scott yeah. Miller. Yes, being a part and, and of the Brian company?
3: Turner as well. Yeah, uh, yes. he's also been with the. Uh, I think Joe and Brian are like the two oldest employees after Scott and George, basically. So, so those two guys are, you know, been with the with the Apogee and 3D Realms for ages. So, um, and uh, yeah, Joe is maintaining our forums again and uh, doing a lot of community stuff for us and uh, and basically just helping out. He's also in the archivist. You know, he he means he maintains records of everything. You wouldn't believe the stuff he. He, he's been able to dig out for us like the 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 tom hall notes that we recently run uh, we we ran on a website you know it's stuff that he found and, and together with us on on old hard drives basically
1: so if anybody of the listeners is a developer and wants to work with you so yes you look get in that. touch
3: uh, hello at 3d realms.com just write us there uh just just that's that's just our general inquiry you know for anything basically just Contact us there. Send us uh, a small uh, description of your game, some images if you can, and uh, you know we'll we'll get back to you and sign DAs and all that stuff that needs to be in place uh, so that we can and, ho- and hopefully if you have it playable, you know let us see it. You know we're what well, what we're trying to do is to try and find a lot of the European Scandinavian developers and, and try and bring them to the US basically because a lot of them are really really talented, but they have. They have no experience in how to sell games. Basically, they know everything about developing. They have great ideas, great creativity, great you know just great games. Basically, but but very few of them really make it big. So uh, so we're trying to change that, and uh, hopefully we'll be bringing. Uh, we, we we can reveal a little bit more s- shortly about some of the first uh, games that we'll be we putting out. Be putting out. So. Um,
1: Yeah, so that's your hello at 3drealms.com. I can confirm the email address works because that is where I got the answer from Frederick about uh, the invitation for this podcast. Yeah, yeah. So I can confirm the email address works. You you guys do answer your emails, so that's good. Yeah, we
3: we try and keep it answered within a reasonable time. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer than it should, but uh, we're a very small team with a lot of stuff to do, so... uh, so, uh, yeah, but but uh, write us there and uh, let us know. You can also, uh, uh, I guess, I don't know how many people follow your uh, podcast, but you could also, you know, write me directly. And let me put that up as well. So uh, you're welcome to do that as well. We're hoping to start up a, a, an accelerator program where we can help, you know, fund, you know, a lot of more developers. Uh, so, so that they can get their products out there, basically. So, um, which is uh, something called Three D Realms Accelerate. We haven't announced it a hundred percent yet, so, but it's something we're looking to announce uh, later this year.
1: Yeah, actually, I saw it in your homepage. The accelerate yeah. thing—you can sign up for. Yeah, basically just a newsletter, so we can
3: contact you when we have more information on it. We're still, we're still ironing out the details, but basically what we're trying to, to do is is. Looking to some of the, you know, looking to some of the, uh, what can you say, the, the, the tech incubators uh, where you, you know, do it for software and technology. We're trying to take some of that and, and put it into games and say, you know, we have some, we're willing to help these guys. We're willing to take a risk. You know, they they've, they maybe reached a certain uh, level in their development, and 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 is now stuck due to lack of funding, a lack of expertise, a lack of whatever. And uh, we try what what we what we want this program to be is a way where we can uh, carry some of these developers through and and give them like great conditions, a lot of freedom, and and uh, and, uh, and and get their products out there. Because there's a lot of uh, products that don't make it, I think, because. It is, self-publishing is easy, but it's also difficult. It's easy to get started with, but it's difficult to succeed with, I think. And um, I think the 3D runs uh, name uh, still has a lot of values. What we can see whenever we put anything out there under that name, uh, you know, the first time when we announced that we had taken it over, I didn't expect really anyone to respond to it or react to it. And I was just, you know, blown away. I've always tried to live a very uh, anonymous sort of life. not... Uh, <laughs> be too much involved with the press no offense no offense but it's uh it's always uh, i've always liked you know being anonymous but um but but i i saw that pretty quickly it was difficult with 3d realms because it, it it's uh, a lot of people has an has an interest in 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 the company and i can definitely understand why so um but yeah that that's a little bit about 3d realms accelerate we'll be coming out with a lot more details uh later this year on it so um Right now, a lot of our focus is going on on the next big game, which is Bombshell. As soon as we have a little more, we're a little bit closer to the release. So I think we can start dedicating a lot more time on on accelerate and all all of the other things that we that we have in our in our pi- pipeline. So, um, and uh, and hopefully 2015 and 16, you'll see a lot a lot of new games from uh, 3D Realms. So. Uh, when I say a lot, you know, a few, a few Well, yeah, like that, but <laughs> that's, that's, that's a lot compared <laughs> to what. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, so, um, so let me ask you: How do you actually consider triple A, double A, one A? Because that's all something we we, yeah. we were wondering about, yeah. you know.
3: Well, we don't really have a have a set definition for it. Uh, you know, I think the traditional triple A. Is anything above ten million dollars is is triple A apparently, but but we, I, th- I think it's very difficult to, to say it like that now because there's so many great games getting made on budgets that are way lower than that, and and to us they are triple they they could just as well be a triple A game, uh, so so we try to look to you know to, to the quality of the assets, uh, the quality of the game, the quality of the game design, uh, you know how entertaining is it, you know that 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 to us is what you know that that makes up we'd rather rate based on those criteria to, criteria than than money alone basically so because we've seen it a long time you know uh, you know huge games have been taken ages to to develop it doesn't necessarily make them great games it it often you know it helps definitely that you have unlimited money but uh, but you can make something really great and 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 uh, you know for a fraction of the price of a big budget game so uh, so for us it it's all about you know how does the game feel, and how does it really is it fun? Does it does it get the attention of the gamers, basically?
1: Well, so so we should we should ask Fred what is for you a AAA developer?
2: <laughs> for me, it's 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 pretty simple. It's uh, it's games that are that are made. You know, it's it's high quality games uh, in terms of of uh, Hollywood proportions, if you call it that. Um, a lot of games can be high quality, but be a one-hour, two-hour experience. I think for me, it's 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 um, games that look big budget, that has a playtime of over eight hours of gameplay, and um, and have beautiful graphics, story, uh, professional voice acting, animation, and so on. Um, so I think the best way to compare this is with the movie uh, movie industry. You know, the triple are the movies you see in the cinema. Uh, indie are the movies that you see, maybe independent cinemas or you see them on, on Netflix and you see them on, on, uh, you know, uh, on DVD and direct to video and so on. Uh, and casual, uh, is live TV that that's kind of it, it. It's easier for people to understand it when you compare it with that. What, what we make is we make the cinema games, but we make them at, at budgets that are, that are way lower than, than the than industry norm, mm-hmm. uh, which is getting ridiculous.
1: Well, I mean, I, I read a lot about that video games are already give, getting more money and earning more money than movies. So. Yeah. Uh, movies and music combined. It yeah. is the biggest entertainment yeah. industry in the world. So, uh, so it definitely is. And Ralph Baer, when I interviewed him via Skype video um, l- last year, he was like, we never imagined it would grow so big just because of Pong, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you probably wouldn't be there here and doing the interview if there wasn't him inventing uh, video games and stuff for, for the homes. Yeah, that's That's probably true, that's probably true. Uh, Mike said you are also trying to release, remaster old games. Yeah. So may, may I ask you, if it's not too much of a secret, what, what else you have in your minds about re-releasing old games? You made some hints. People were thinking, like, maybe Plague Stone or something? Well, we don't have any,
2: any plans at all. Uh, ah. I, think, I think we made some hints about what we personally would love to play and uh, blake stone is one of our favorites we'd love to see something like that return we'd love to see monster bash return halloween harry wacky wheels there's so many games that we as fans not as uh, game developers but as fans would love to see return but we have absolutely zero plans right now Hmm. on what we want to do right now we have bombshell and we have two three other projects that we we're focusing 100% on. And then we have uh, a few side things from 3D Realms, but uh, there's nothing on the radar right now yeah. of remastering, re-releasing these games. The anthology right now is, is the important part of, of 3D Realms, and that is that is basically to make people aware, a new generation aware, that, that these games exist, and these games were actually the, the foundation of, of the PC games industry, as we know it today. Uh, and then that's the first step. Maybe, maybe later down the line we can start thinking about if we want to bring some of these things back and, and yeah. what it requires and what has the potential to, uh, to be really cool. But we don't want to bring something back, uh, you know, re- remaster something or, or make an HD version of something just to do it. it. It needs to be because this IP or this game could be really interesting if it was a brand new game today. And there's definitely a lot of games that has that potential in, in the Three Realms Apogee library.
3: Mm -hmm. I did say we're looking to, you know, old stuff as well. You know, we have released almost all of the games, but there are still some that has not been released. And we're looking into that as well to see if we can add even more games to the anthology as we go along. But that would just be, you know, release of the original uh, vanilla version of the game, if you could say that. So um, we're approaching 3D Realms in a much more open way, I could say, than the previous owners, like you revealed some very early beta versions of, of Duke Nukem 3D and, 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 you know, we're, we're looking through all these treasures that are in this old company and, you know, to see which are, are there any that needs to be out there for the fans to see? Or is there anything that makes sense to release, uh, like the Tom Hall notes? Those were a great example of, you know, just gold that's sitting in, in 3D realms that's never been revealed. And we're looking into that and we'll probably be dripping out, you know, small droplets of, of that gold as we, uh, as we go along. So. Yeah.
1: You also said, um, you're not, you're not trying to go towards the casual gamers nowadays yeah. anymore, like you did back then with, uh, Commander Keen, for example
3: you know, I I said that and I don't know if, I I am pretty sure Fred agrees is that that mobile gaming is definitely something we're looking into but it's not a main focus area of us I think we could say that you know we may have some mobile games coming up but but you know we'll definitely always try and and get them onto the console uh, you know get console versions out of, of these games first right uh, and you also at the same you know, time if possible so, right uh, you
0: you also made a made a point in that uh, 3D Realms is really you're aiming towards um I don't remember the, the, the words we used, um, like kick-ass games, you know. Bad, badass, badass games. Yeah, yeah, badass
3: games, yeah. Well, what we look for, our mantra uh, in games is badass games, basically. That's what we look for. You know, I don't think we are the right publisher for, for the next education title or you know, casual gaming candy, whatever, you know you know that, that that's not, I don't think we're the right publisher for that, I think there's a great games and a lot of great games are getting put out like that, but but that's not what we were focusing on, we're focusing on badass action games basically
0: yeah. and that's yeah. something that, you know, with, with the mobile market, it's more like Flappy Bird or something where it's, you know, something you can play with, it's kind of fun, okay, put it down but I don't think I could ever play like a game where, where there's like, you know 8 hours of gameplay on my on my phone or mobile device it's i i, I would i would stick it through my eye before i actually got anywhere <laughs> in it
1: I'm sorry yeah. i had to laugh
0: you know cuz cause, cause that, that that's that's best suited to something where it's like you can sit down and you're you're on like an actual machine where you can yeah. you know interact better with it than just on a little mobile device sitting on a train or something you know it it doesn't yeah. translate as well into the mobile mobile realm well
3: you know we're not we're not totally off mobile we may be releasing some of you know something from mobile mm-hmm. in the coming year or next year but but you know i think for us what we really what we really love is the consoles it's the it's the pc it's the pc you know we, we love games for those platforms you know and so, so that's definitely what we what we focus on and i think fred uh, fred will probably agree to that as well yeah I, mobile amazing. games are great I, I do play a few of them myself every now and then but we just have a bleeding heart for old-fashioned games if you could call it that <laughs> mm. which we, we think is still pretty cool
0: okay and the games that we have available uh we can get them on
3: gog.com i see there's uh, some, some of, of them yeah some of them Some of them, and you can get the full anthology at, at 3d com.
0: and that website once again is www.3drealms.com in our to future podcast uh,
3: Follow us uh, on Twitter as well, you know, follow 3D Realms, Interceptor, you know, we use that quite actively too. Yeah, yeah.
1: Already, I already followed you with a SceneWorld account yesterday. So. Okay,
3: excellent. And
1: you probably, excellent. Saw, you probably saw that I sent you a request on LinkedIn and so on, so I already yeah. started my research. and <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Great. Excellent! Awesome! Thanks, guys. Thanks guys. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, have night. a good night. It's already night here. Yeah, and, <laughs> and Denmark too. So have a good night, guys, and thanks yeah. for taking the time and being so open. No problem. Thank okay. you yes. very much, guys. Bye bye. All right, bye. thank
0: bye. you. Bye. So, uh, so that was Three D Realms, and uh once again, Three D Realms website is three d realms dot com, and we really recommend you check the site out because there's a lot of. Uh, Really, legitimately great stuff there, and it's uh, currently the only place that you can get the 3D Realms anthology, which is a uh, which is kind of a really serious thing. I mean, this is this is 32 games and DRM free, and 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 I mean, we're not paid to say this; we don't do advertisers. So if we don't like something, we'll we'll let you know. So so yeah, check that out. And there's a lot of other great games there too, like Duke Nukem and Wolfenstein 3D and Wacky Wheels and Math Rescue. And some of the games, like Major Striker, Alien, Carnage, Prey, uh, a bunch of others, are actually free, so you're not actually risking anything. They all run in modern hardware. Most have, uh, some kind of Xbox 360 controller support, which is kind of cool, because if you've got a, if you're a console gamer, and you've never done this on a PC before, it's, it, it makes the progression a little bit more natural for you, and you don't really need to le- learn controls or keyboards or anything. Uh, you also find stuff on there. On uh, 3drealms.com, like design tips from Tom Hall, uh, and you can sign up for advertisements regarding the 3D Realms Accelerate program. See some other really cool stuff. I, I just don't know. I, I actually just noticed that uh Joel Siegler, who's been with the company for over two decades now, has a feature on the site telling stories about the release of Rise of the Triad, which we uh, which was mentioned through the podcast. So yeah, everyone head over, head over to 3D Realms and check this stuff out. And if you're a developer and would like to get in touch with 3D Realms, then again, the email is hello at 3DRealms.com, and we'll stick that in the podcast description. Um, you can also look them up on LinkedIn, doing a search there for 3D Realms. Uh, and you can follow them on Twitter uh, at at 3 d Realms at Apogee Software, and keep up with Bombshell news by following at Bombshell underscore game. I'm, I'm kind of really looking forward to that game because just from what we've seen and heard in this interview – it looks like um, like they're really putting some major effort into making this a really immersive and, and cool kind of experience. Also, before we go, we'd like to throw out a huge thanks to Mike Nielsen, who, because of some scheduling difficulties, actually sat through this interview twice with us and was a really great sport throughout the entire process. So that covers that. Uh, but what about our shameless self-promotion? Well, you can check out other podcasts, video interviews, and other fun stuff at sceneworld.org. You can also feed your podcatcher with this or find us on iTunes, which you've probably already done because you're listening to me. Uh, my website is justwestofhell.com. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Arthur J. Heller. York's also got a site. It's nafcom.eu. You can follow him, too, on Twitter at, at nafcom. Uh, and this has been the Scene World Podcast. I'm AJ. He's York. We'll see you next time.